Hello, everybody, and welcome to the High Return Real Estate Show, the show for heavy hitters. And today we've got a really, really great episode for you. And there's no question that the guy that we're going to bring on and have a conversation with is indeed a heavy hitter. And what's really interesting to me about this episode, you know, my business partner and I are in the turnkey industry. And turnkey is considered really one of the most passive ways that you can make income from real estate. But the guest I'm gonna bring on today is a guy that's gonna kind of blow that right out of the water and put your headspace into a place where you can find something that's even more passive than owning a turnkey rental property. So I'm really intrigued to dive into this and uh, you're, you're in for a great show, so stay tuned. Welcome to the High Return Real Estate Show, the podcast for heavy hitters. Two men, one mission. It's time to build your empire. All right, welcome back, everybody. This is Shecky at the High Return Real Estate Show. And today I am happy to welcome a man who's done a lot of stuff in the business, done a lot of flipping and done note investing and structuring of notes and pretty much been attached to a lot of different parts of the uh, real estate investing space. Uh, but now he runs a company called Aspen Funds. And Aspen Funds is in the secondary mortgage market. So I'm really excited to welcome Mr. Jim Mafuccio. Hello, Jim. Hi there, Shecky. How are you doing today? Good. Did I pronounce your last name right? You, you sure did. I always, I always love to hear people take a crack at it. And I, I honor you for your courage, number one. And number two, you actually got it right. Mafuccio. All right. That, so. That's great. So, you know, usually the Jews like myself and the Italians like you are all the ones with the difficult last names. So I'm kind of used to it. <laughs> so anyway, I, I know you've done a lot of stuff in the real estate space and I wanted to just dive in if you wouldn't mind. I, you know, I hate reading these formal bios, but I'd much rather hear from you as to, you know, a little bit of how you got started and how things evolved for you and how you ended up in the space that you're in now. Sure. That sounds good. Yeah. So, uh, so I actually started off in my uh, professional life in uh, 1980 as an engineer and working in, for an oil company. I had a civil engineering degree and I did the corporate thing for uh, about six years and realized pretty quickly that I'm, that's no place for an entrepreneur. It was great, great training though. I learned a lot of project management and I jumped, uh, I jumped out of that in Santa Barbara, California. I was working for Exxon actually. I jumped out of that to get involved in real estate full-time, self-employed in night, the beginning of 86. And I haven't, uh, I'm proud to say, haven't gotten a paycheck from somebody else since that point in time. And since 1986, there was a few seasons I wish I was getting a paycheck, but uh so I jumped into real estate and, and primarily became a, a, a residential developer, smaller infill development in Southern California and did that for, uh, you know, basically, you know, right up through the mortgage crisis. It, this is a very short version of the story, but my, my story is that I would, have, uh, I would have a project that would be, you know, successful and you make a couple million bucks and it's, you're on top of the world and then you, you leverage that into some more projects and then the market turn, cycle turns and Southern California, co any of the coastal markets is cra a crazy place to try to be a small developer with a debt-based model. So uh, after my second washout 
it, as a result of the mortgage crisis in 2008, I decided, you know, uh, I've been in debt all my life. And so I figured I'm going to, I'm going to stay in debt, but I'm going to get on the other side of the debt. And instead of being the borrower, I'm going to figure out a way to be the lender. Now that's a very short version, but you know, both of my, uh, deep failures really in, in the real estate world were, were because of the debt structure and what was happening in the financial markets uh, nationally and even internationally. So the SNL crisis took me out in, uh, in the, you know, the, my first go around and then the uh, subprime crisis took me out in, in this latest uh, 2008 through 2010 cycle. So I found myself in 2010 with uh, you know, five teenagers under roof uh, zero assets, zero investors. I mean, literally starting over from scratch in, in my mid fifties. And all I had was a lot of bruises and bumps and real estate experience, some good, but mostly, you know, understanding the, uh, what debt can do to you. And so, uh, I discovered this, uh, that, you know, you can actually, you can actually buy the lender's position. And so, in the crisis of uh, 2008 through 2010, there became a great opportunity to uh, jump in and purchase mortgages from institutions that were, were going or had already gone under. And so, uh, you know, you, we buy, we, we specialized in, uh, I started the focus in the second mortgages. So junior liens, usually behind a senior lien that's performing. Now, I would tell people I'm buying second mortgages and their eyes would glaze over and they would, they would say, man, you're, you're more insane than I thought you were. And then I would explain to them the benefits of that. And it's, you know, basically we get to leverage a lot of real estate value for a small investment. And these second mortgages are, they're, they're almost throwaways to the institutions because uh, they're treated different than a 30 year amortizing, you know, mortgage. They're, they're treated almost like consumer debt and their charge off requirements are different. So long story short is they're, they're extreme don't wanters. So in your, in your world, uh, Shecky, it'd be like that, you know, there's kind of one of these sayings in, in, the, in the hard real estate world that, you know, I, when you walk into a house and it smells so bad from the, from the cat and, and dog feces and urine, that you say it smells like money to me, you know, yep. <laughs> because that's a house no, nobody else wants, you know. Well, these second mortgages were kind of like that in, in, the, in the paper world. And so uh, in 2012, I joined up with a business partner and we started Aspen Funds. And we have been just growing gangbusters since then. Even right now, we're in the middle of actually hiring people during this COVID. Uh, and I'm going to call it a pause and a reset because I don't think it's the end of the world or even close. It's going to create a lot of opportunity. And obviously, we're, we care about people first and foremost opportunity to help people, but also it's going to create opportunity for people that'll, uh, you know, get their head out of the sand and realize that, uh, you know, the, the markets and, and, the, and the underlying companies were not in bad shape when this happened. This isn't like 2008, where we had systemic problems in the financial world. This is a health issue that descended upon the globe. And, you know, when it lifts, we're going to all get back to work. And there's some things that are going to take a while, but, you know, uh, we're, we're actually... I don't want to say we're, we're not excited about a crisis, but we're excited about the growth curve of our business. And I think probably like you, there's a little bit of a pause and interruption because a lot of people are, you know, puckering up and not knowing what to do with their investment capital and not knowing to do what to do with their mortgage payments. But, you know, we're going to get through this and uh, we're going to be stronger and I think we're going to be more profitable and we're going to help a bunch of people in the process. So that's a short version. 
Yeah, I appreciate you saying that too. I mean, first of all, thanks for filling in the gaps on yourself and your a little bit about your journey, but but also your comments on Corona too. I, I genuinely share those sentiments and uh, I too don't feel like it's the end of the world. Um, you know, in fact, I think there's a lot of manipulation of information going on behind the scenes, but you know, that's, we could have a whole nother episode on, on all that stuff yeah, we and could. fake news and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah. but I agree with you that it's, um, you know, sure, there's a virus that's out there, but yes, we were extremely healthy going into this, probably the healthiest we've been in many a decade. No and, uh, and I think the rebound, you know, there will be some sectors that take longer, like you say, but, but in general, I think the rebound will be relatively quick. And, and moreover, I really agree in that when things get shaken up, there is great opportunity. There's great opportunity to help people, but there's also great opportunity to really um, make a lot more profits. Uh, you know, there, there's just things just open up in different ways than maybe what we thought. And so I'm very excited about that. So Absolutely. let me dive into a little bit this whole, you know, second mortgage position, because, you know, typically the people that listen to this show are mostly, I would say, buy and hold investors. And, you know, they understand the, the benefits of, leverage, many of them pay cash up front and then we'll come back around and do a cash out refi or something like that. Uh, But they like the idea um, and certainly the, there's a lot of tax advantages, including things like, you know, cost segregation tax stuff, uh, depreciation, things like that. If you are buying notes, I guess that's what we'll call them, mortgage (laughs) notes. That's it. Do you get those same advantages? I mean, can you still mean, you can't really depreciate a note, can you? No, you can't depreciate a note. First of all, I want to say, I, I'm, I, you know, the tax implications are way above my pay grade. I do know that the way we're structured and what we do is we, we manage, we launch and manage mortgage funds. So we're, our taxation and our investors taxation is treated a little differently than somebody who say wants to go out and be the actual owner and buy these mortgages themselves and take the assignment of mortgage and the, and the endorsement of the promissory note. That's okay. a little bit different than somebody investing passively into one of our funds. And we structure them as LLCs and put the notes in a trust. And so there are some significant benefits uh, based on the way that, that our tax accountants are, have, have instructed us to, uh, to manage our business. And it, it gets, honestly, it gets in over my head that no, it's not a physical asset that you can depreciate. But I will say that most of our gains come in the form of capital gains at the, at the end of the day, which is, uh, you know, that, and that's on our non-performing mortgage side, because we have two sides of our business. And if it's, it's kind of like real estate. We have our, you know, our, our fix and flipper side, which is we're buying distressed notes that aren't performing and we're rehabbing the paper so we never own the property unless, of course, we have to foreclose, which happens less than 2% of the time. So we're rehabbing the paper. We're trying to get the borrower back into an affordable performing payment structure and then selling those re-performing notes. Well, then we launched a second side of our business in about 2014, and that was we, we are buying performing and re-performing mortgages, and that's a different set of investors. Those are investors that just want mailbox money. So we pay a preferred return. They get it monthly. It's ACH'd into their checking account. And, um, you know, all we do is buy performing paper with that fund. 
And then our, our non-performing fund, of course, we raise capital and then we go out, we're continually buying loans and we buy a basket of these non-performing loans and we have a whole workout team and operation and processes. And we start engaging the borrowers and we use third party nationally licensed servicers and we're licensed ourselves as, as debt collectors. And we go to town working with these borrowers to try to re-perform them or rehab the paper. So, um, you know, there's different taxation structures in each of those two models. Sure. But, you know, that's about as deep yeah. as we can go at this and point. And thank you for that distinction, too, because I think that, you know, the listeners are, you know, the first thing was out of my mouth is like, okay, well, wait a minute. If we're making a comparison to owning a property, that's an important distinction that yeah. you're not really, people that invest with you are not really buying a note. They're buying into a fund that you have created, or one of two funds, essentially. Right. One is a non-performing fund, one is a performing fund. And with the idea of, especially on the performing side, strictly mailbox money. So this is kind of what I wanted to get to when we started off the show is, you know, we tend to pitch a turnkey investment property as passive ownership. Right. And to a great extent it is, you know, I mean, we're in our model, we're doing kind of the heavy lifting, we're buying the property, we're rehabbing it, we're doing it nice, getting it across the finish line, getting it tenanted, working with a great property management team, you know, so the investor is essentially walking into a performing property. But that said, you know, at least here in Indiana, you know, every six months, there's a uh, tax bill that's got to be paid. Right. And, you know, every time a tenant turns over, there's likely some repairs that have to happen to the property. Even when the tenant's in there, there are repairs that have to happen to the property. And even though you're working with a property management team, there's still stuff that you got to pay attention to. That's it's right. not completely passive. Yeah. Whereas it sounds to me like in your model, especially on the performing note side, if somebody buys into that fund, they just simply, they give you a certain amount of money and you say, okay, you own a percentage, whatever that is of this LLC and this LLC makes X returns. And so whatever your percentage is, you know, less probably some small service fee, you're giving that back to the investor in terms of just regular cash every single month. That's exactly right, Shecky. And, you know, I'll, I'll say this right up front. You know, I, I you know, a lot of people in my niche, you know, in the paper world versus the real real estate world, you know, they, they, they'll tell you all this, you know, like, well, the reason that paper is better because there's no tenants, toilets and trash and all that sort of thing. Sure. And, you know, I, I've never been a, I'm, I'm a pretty bipartisan guy, you know, I, I, I can start an argument with myself sometimes. I come up with good answers that way. But, you know, I, I really firmly believe in both because at the end of the day with a mortgage, yeah, you can passively control more income, more cash flow. But in a perfect world, let's just say theoretically, I buy a 30-year mortgage and, and the payments come in without a hiccup. And that's me owning the loan, not my passive. You said it exactly right. My passive investors are 100% passive, whether they're in our performing fund or whether they're in our workout fund. They don't have to do anything other than vet us and vet the opportunity. But once they've done that, they're, they're out of the game except for receiving their, their distributions. But being the owner of a mortgage in a perfect world, 30, I get 30 years of payments. And then what do I have at the end of 30 years? Nothing. I've had great income in the interim. This is why I like real estate. I like a combination, to be honest, because in your world, 
the turnkey world, yeah, it's not 100% passive, even if it's managed by the best property manager in the world. There's, look, stuff happens. Uh, real estate is probably one of the biggest sources of drama for, for, for the American family. And there's going to be drama along the way. But look, at the end of the day, let's say, I have, let's say I'm the borrower on a 30-year mortgage against a turnkey property. Well, in 30 years, I have an asset free and clear that, that's going to prov- produce cash flow for my, for my legacy. So, you know, for somebody to say one's better than the other, I think is ludicrous. They both have, uh, have their positives. So it really depends on what the investor's uh, intention is with that portion of their portfolio. And I would say it makes a lot of sense to own some real estate hands-on, and it makes a lot of sense to own truly passive investors like paper. So there you go. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I was laughing inside about your bipartisan comment because I was, <laughs> I was thinking to myself, okay, like, if I could actually find a bipartisan journalist in this country, huh. we could actually interview the only bipartisan citizen in the entire country. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, that's, that's congratulations. Right. Oh, well, thank <laughs> <Fantastic>. you. <laughs> so, uh, so on the, on the non-performing side, you, you said something that kind of tickled my interest a little bit, like there's debt collection, right? So these are, in other words, you're in a second position and these are people that, you know, maybe they're paying their primary mortgage, but they also are kind of not paying much attention to it. They're not paying the, the second mortgage, right? Exactly. And you're coming in, obviously, buying those notes at a pretty significant discount, I would think, as a yeah. result of the fact that they are A, second mortgage, mortgages, B, non-performing. You got it. You then take those and go, okay, Mr. Homeowner or Mr. You know, mortgagee, whatever you want to call him or her, how do we work together to get you to start paying on this thing? Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. We buy them. Uh, we, they, you know, we base everything on UPB that's unpaid principal balance. It's just for sake of metrics. And so really the, these borrowers typically owe a lot more than the UPB because there's also a lot of arrears that have accumulated. So there's a total payoff balance, but just for the, for the sake of conversation, we purchase these loans anywhere from 2% of the UP, UPB all the way up to 60% of the UPB. And that 100, that depends on a couple major parameters. One is what's the condition, what's the balance and the status of that senior mortgage in front of us. If we have a lot of equity covering our position and the senior mortgage is being, is being paid like clockwork, we can pay a lot more for that mortgage because we're, we're, we're not gonna lose our capital and we're probably gonna, we're probably going to get a full payoff on what's owed to us. So if we buy that at 50%, even 50% of the payoff balance, we know we're gonna get the payoff balance eventually. So we're gonna make a 2X on that loan. And that's the, those are the most conservative ones we buy. Just to let you know, across a portfolio, and having done this now for eight years and thousands of loans, we average about 2.5X on the loans that we buy, meaning this is the good, the bad, and the ugly. This includes the throwaways, which are worthless, we find out after we buy a big pool of these loans. This means that when the dust settles, if I buy a million dollars worth of these mortgages, I'm gonna collect two and a half million dollars. And that's typically over the course of uh, one and a half to three years is when we start getting our returns. So there's a lot of risk involved. We take the risk, not our passive investors. I mean. Uh, our legal bills are, you wouldn't even want to know, our servicing bills and legal bills. We have to engage attorneys almost all the time. Uh, I hate to say it, but to wake a lot of borrowers up, we have to engage an attorney to at least write a default letter. 
Because again, some of these borrowers haven't made a payment in seven, even as much as 10, 12 years. And all of a sudden we're showing up and saying, hey guys, how are we gonna settle this? How are we gonna take care of this? And they're, they're like, we don't owe that anymore. <laughs> it's like, well, I got the, your original link on your, the promissory note here that says you do. So why don't we work together and, and resolve this thing? But most of the time we have to start a legal process. And thankfully, the vast majority of the time we don't have to complete that process. And we end up with a modified mortgage. So just in general terms, we're buying on an average, we're buying at a 18 to 20% of what's owed. We end up creating performing paper that's worth more like 55 to 70% of what's owed. And so you can see the, multi the multiplier that we get right there. A lot of our mortgages settle right away. They just say, hey, what will you take for, for us both to go away? And if they, if, if they work with us soon enough that we have a lot of room to make it really sweet for the borrower. And again, it makes it really sweet for our investors. So it really is a win-win situation. And then um, on the other side, on the income side, we're just buying based on yield. You know, we're buying at a discount. We're buying paper that most institutional cash flow buyers don't want to mess with because they're afraid of, <clears throat> excuse me, they're afraid of redefault. Well, we do get some redefault in our portfolio. We actually price that in. So we're risk priced for that. But the fact of the matter is we have a core competency at working out defaulted mortgages. So we're not scared of those. And we also, uh, you know, we can buy them at a deep discount. And the beauty there is if we're buying that paper at 60, say 60% 60 of what's owed, we're buying it performing. Well, when that loan pays off, we're not collecting the 60% that we paid. We're collecting the 100% that the borrower owes. So we're, we're getting a nice windfall when these loans pay off. And in today's marketplace, we're still seeing a lot of refi. So people are asking me, well, with this COVID crisis, are you seeing a, an interruption in payments coming in? And yeah, we're starting to see a little bit of that. People asking for some grace and we're, you know, they have to prove they have a real hardship. And so we will see some interruption in our regular monthly borrower payments, but off more than offsetting that, it's kind of interesting. We're having other people that are taking advantage of the refi rates right now. And so we're getting all these full payoffs and the profit we make on these full payoffs is far more than the interruption in monthly payments from our other borrowers. So it's really a, a model that, I mean, I'd love to say that we had the genius going in to, you know, to know something like this would happen and that we would prosper during it. But I have to just say it's kind of divine providence or dumb luck, some might call it. So, but it's, it's been a, it's been a great model for us and, you know, so far so good. And, and uh, we'll just keep doing what we do and see where it goes. Yeah, it's fantastic. I, uh, I just listening to you talk about this and clearly you're very passionate about it. And I think it's great. Um, but, you know, the, to a certain extent, when you start talking about, I don't remember what you call the UPBs or whatever, uh, the, it's still just like anything else, there's still the whole risk reward model, right? right? Like you're still, anything that you go out and buy, you know, for yourself, for your fund, which is essentially ultimately on behalf of your investors, is based on risk versus reward, That's as right. is pretty much any other quote unquote investment. Mm -hmm. Um, the other thing that I find ironic, uh, especially in the real estate industry, is there's always that dark underbelly, right? Like, so like, like you know, like what you had said about, you know, cat piss and dog piss and stuff like that. Like there, there's always crappy stuff that we have to deal with in terms of yeah. rehabbing properties and getting them ready for investors. But it's right. the same thing with you. I mean, you got to work with people that, you know, 
need some legal prodding and and oh, potentially yeah. some let's just say verbal strong arming i don't know what what you would call it but i mean you know there, there's nice ways of saying it and but but the reality is there there's always there's always crap at things that you have to get good at in yep. order to be able to create systems that produce profit absolutely absolutely we uh you know, we have a network of attorneys, uh, I mean, every single state, and we're always vetting new ones. And, you know, and, and we're, we are super, super uh, conscious and aware of treating people with respect and dignity, no matter who they are. Um, and, you know, we have people that have some really difficult stories and circumstances. And we have other people that are like, I mean, they are, they have been chronic gamers of the system. And it's unbelievable. I won't mention states, but there are certain states that the laws are actually designed for people to be able to take advantage of the system. It's 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 a sanctuary state on steroids. It's a it's a financial sanctuary. Yeah. And I mean, it's 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 pretty amazing the things we've been sued for. But we're very careful to uh, treat people with respect and dignity. We're very compliance minded. We use licensed servicers. Obviously, we use attorneys where we need to, and uh, we really are for. Uh, keeping keeping homeowners in their homes with an affordable at an affordable mortgage payment, and we're able to do that in a way uh, that still is very profitable to our investors. So it really is a win 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 situation. But yeah, there there is a underbelly, <laughs> an underbelly and a half in in the regulations and in the you know the the, the best and the worst of human nature come comes out in people during difficulties and crisis and. Uh, I don't just mean this COVID crisis. I mean the crisis of having non-performing debt on your on your books, whether you're the borrower or the lender. And it's not, you know, but but we've gotten really good at it, and we hire we hire experienced people that are that have worked for banks for years and years, and they they know all the consumer laws and the debt collection laws, and we keep up to speed on all that. It's a it's not a good mom and pop business to venture into at the level we're into it. I mean, you yeah. can go buy you can go buy a performing loan, and that that's fine. There's people that'll hold your hand in doing that, but to buy non-performing second mortgages and then start reaching out and contacting borrowers, I, I'll just tell you, I, if I were starting the business today as an individual, I would not jump into it. But we're like so far across the lake now. We, you know, we got a we got a company of 20 employees. We use a lot of vendors and and uh, a lot of attorneys. And uh, we have a great structure, a great business structure around us, systems in place and processes and templates and letters. And, you know, we're, we're too far in and, and we're actually having a really good time doing it now. So, you know. That's uh, a story of myself and my business partner, too. We've said the same thing. It's like, you know, the, the turnkey business to a certain extent sucks. Sorry, I, I, <laughs> I probably shouldn't be saying that because I know there's some of our investors listening. But it's true. It's not an easy business. There's a lot of things that have to be systemized and you have to get right Absolutely. in order to provide that good end product. Absolutely. And it is not for the faint of heart. And Jack oh. and I often joke, if we had to do it all over again, we probably would have picked something different, but <laughs> Providence, whatever you want to call it, you know, brought us all here and, you know, now we've got all the systems in place and here we are. Right. right. So anyway, um, I'm curious, you know, partially, uh, you know, business owner to business owner in terms of generating business. Like I know there's some laws as far as, you know, soliciting investors and things like that. And are you subject to some of those laws? And if so, how do you go about 
how do investors find you or how do you find investors? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, glad you brought that up because we're from the beginning. Uh, we, again, just, we, we want, wanted to do things right. There's a lot of people doing this stuff on, you know, back in napkin agreements and their advertising. And we, we, use, a, we use a structure, it's called a, a 50, it's private placement. It's a 506C exemption. And so basically what that means is only accredited investors can invest in our funds. So accredited investors are, is defined by uh, a certain amount of net worth. And I believe it's a million dollars exclusive of your principal residence. And then there's an income uh, qualification as well. And I think it's $250,000 for an individual, 300,000 for a married couple. But uh, so we absolutely do not solicit investment from uh, anybody who's not accredited. Uh, we are able to do general solicitation for uh, for accredited investors, but we work we work through. Uh, we have some registered investment advisors. There's actually been some in institutional investors and ultra high net worth folks that have found us through uh, word of mouth and through referrals. Uh, we don't do a lot of advertising, uh, to be honest. We we are trying to grow our capital base in lockstep with our deal flow, and it's the deal flow in our business can be very lumpy. Um, it's not like you go to your, the Costco of, uh, of financial products and can buy, buy whatever quantity you want. So uh, we are growing, we're aggressively growing, but we're trying to do that. And we never want to have idle capital sitting to where there's a temptation to make bad business decisions on what we buy. We're very careful. We've never had an investor leave us. An investor's never missed getting their preferred return. We've been doing this eight years. And, um, you know, we just, we're perfectly happy to keep growing at a steady pace. And we've actually been doubling every year for the last few years. And it looks like this year is not going to be an exception, even with the COVID. So, um, yeah, no general solicitation of, uh, you know, non-accredited investors. So that's the way that's, we roll. Yeah. Thank you for that description. So for the accredited investors that are listening to this show, because I know there are many, um, if they wanted to find you, how would they find you? Best way there would be to just to go to our website. Uh, it's aspenfunds.us. So aspenfunds is one word, A-S-P-E-N-F-U-N-D-S dot U-S. And uh, you just, you can just put your contact info in there or just hit the contact us link. And, uh, you know, uh, myself or one of our, uh, I'm not really involved in, in the, in the capital end of it, but, one of our fantastic uh, team members will get back in touch. And if any other questions that a person might have about, you know, what we do, I mean, we're happy to share information. And if someone wants to get involved actively in the, in the mortgage space, again, we don't do training. We're not an educator. We, we don't have the 897 course that you can sign up for, but I can point you to some places to get more education if you're interested in it. And uh, yeah, we'd love to have a chat with anybody that's interested in reaching out. And uh, no, there's no hard pressure sales. I'm really don't have anything to sell. So yeah. Um, anyway, that's it. Yeah, that's great. You, 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 and I have a lot in common too because it's the same thing with Jack and myself. Like we just we don't have any courses fill, and uh, you know we do the podcast more as just a public service. It's like hey, you know, let's just come on and have some some great awesome. people talk and learn and and share free information and. If it's meaningful, great. If it's not, great. You know, and it, right. it seemed to have worked out pretty well. Um, for the sake of uh, maybe, I don't want to exclude people. And I know that there's also plenty of listeners that are not accredited, right? 
what how, what do we tell those people? Like, how do we, is there a way for a, a non-credited investor, you know, let's say I'm a guy that makes, I don't know, 150K a year and I have a net worth of 800K. You know, like I'm yeah. doing pretty well, but yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not Richie Rich. Right. And so where do I go for, for this kind of stuff and this kind of information? Yeah, probably the best thing is if, so you're interested, if a person like that's interested in investing, uh, you know, there are, you know, conferences you can go to. Uh, There's some online resources and probably the best thing is just reach out to me, reach out to us through the website and tell us exactly what you're interested in. We can point you to people. I, I know there are people in our space that have funds uh, under a Reg A plus offering, which basically allows for anybody and everybody to invest. It's like a mini public offering that's been a recent result of the Jobs Act, a recent uh, legislation that's made it a lot easier to raise money from non-accredited investors. We just don't happen to have that type of a structure in our business. But um, the other thing is, I go to go. There's note conferences that I can point people to if they reach out, and you'll meet all the players. I mean, uh, you'll meet people in the space. You'll find out who's selling notes, who's buying notes, who has what kind of funds to invest in. So there's a network of people, and like anything else, you know, you you, you plug in and you start building relationships is the very best way, and you get your education through the people that you know. Yeah, great advice. So. Um, my last question, which my, my business partner and I love asking this question and it kind of don't mean to put you on the spot, but okay. what's the question that we didn't ask that we should have asked? It's the question that you should have asked. Oh In other goodness. words, you can make this about personal, you can make it philosophical, you can make it spiritual, you can make it business, but what is it that we need? What, what more do we need to know about, about you or about this or about the way you look at the world? Well, okay, since, since, you, since you opened the tent that wide for me, I'll, I'll just say, you know, in a time like this of crisis for a lot of folks, um, I, I would say uh, the question you should ask is how do you find stability in it? And I'll just answer for myself. It's in my faith in God first. Um, that's my anchor and my rock. And, um, you know, times like these, I think people start looking beyond themselves and like maybe there is somebody bigger that, uh, that I need at a time like this. And I would, I, would, uh, I would highly encourage people to don't ignore that quest. It's an important part of who we are is our spirit person. I believe we're spirit, soul, and body. And, um, and, and the, now's a great time, you know, in the, fit, in the physical fitness world, we talk about working on your core. Now's a great time to work on your core. Uh, you know, I, I didn't experience any stress and anxiety through this thing. And it's because of that, because I've spent 35 years working on my core and that's my spiritual life and my relationship with God. So since you invited me and you included spiritual in the matter, there, there you have it. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. So no, no, I, uh, Jim, I'm, I'm hundred percent in alignment with your answer, by the way. And I, most people that listen to this sh show know that I'm a fairly woo woo kind of guy. All right. But I, um, I feel like, you know, one of the interesting things about being, I guess, quarantined for lack of a better word, is that I have had a chance also to work on my inner relationship myself. I mean, there's, there's more time for self reflection, there's right. more time for meditation. And, you know, sure, have I had moments where it's like, Oh, man, this situation sucks. And of course, you know, I mean, we're human. 
but at the same time, there, there have been so many blessings inside of this. And I, I'm, I'm happy to hear your response because from what I am seeing from, from, from this side of things, both in here and out there, the consciousness of the planet is rising. There is yeah. no question about that. And I believe that a lot of what's happening with Corona is really bringing that to a head and bringing that out into the forefront. Yep. And, and I think it's a, it's a really, really beautiful thing. And we are going to see more and more of that and, and reap the benefits of that higher level of being. It's going to affect all of us in a very positive way, both personally and professionally. I, I certainly hope you're right, and I agree with you, and I'm just going to be believing that, yeah, that when this crisis lifts, that we're all changed for the better, and we don't just go back to, you know, business as usual. I, lo I look at it like this, never waste a good crisis <laughs> to not change. I mean, right. crises are great for making, you know, sometimes hairpin turns in our lives, and sometimes just minor adjustments, but whatever it is, don't just don't just Netflix binge and get fat and whine your way through this thing. I mean, maybe a little bit of all of that will happen, but, you know, work on you and uh, we can come out of this thing better all the way around. So. All right. Well said. Bravo. Anyway, I really, really want to thank you for all of your wisdom and your insights and everything you bring to the table. And thanks for making this such a great episode. And of course, listeners, if you liked it, you know, Give us the online high five, five stars, you know, on whatever platform you're listening to this on. And again, Jim Mafuccio, thank you very much. And we'll talk to you very soon. My, my pleasure, Shecky. Thank you very much for having me. Yep. See you later. All righty. Bye-bye.